Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics, the Vote 2019 edition on CPAC. Day 37 of the campaign, just four days left before Canadians who haven't yet voted go to the polls. And the campaign headline today is who will get to govern in a minority parliament, since that's what the polls suggest we will have Monday night. We'll hear from the party leaders on that and party commentators. We'll take a look at the latest polling landscape with PJ Fournier of 338Canada.com and young undecided voters on the decision-making process. And we'll also be on the ground in the riding of Whitby, Ontario, one of those key ridings to watch in Ontario. But first, the Day 37 campaign primer. Oh, awesome. I need a heavier coat. <laughs> Winter is coming. The last few days of campaign tell us where the parties believe their fate will be determined. The Conservative leader began the day in Ontario before heading to Nova Scotia. At a stop in a battleground riding in Brampton, Andrew Scheer promised a Conservative government would recall Parliament quickly to eliminate the federal carbon tax before January 1st. The polls suggest we are headed for a minority Parliament on Monday night, Andrew Scheer says if Conservatives win the most seats, he expects to be allowed to form a government and not face attempts by the other parties to block him. We're asking Canadians for a majority mandate to prevent an NDP Liberal coalition that will run massive deficits and raise their taxes. It is clear that in modern Canadian history, the party with the most seats forms the government and that a Prime Minister who comes out of an election with fewer seats than another party resigns. That is the convention uh, in, in modern Canadian history. The Liberal leader made four stops in Quebec in ridings the Liberals hope to win or hold on to. In Trois-Rivières, currently held by the NDP, Justin Trudeau repeated the now familiar caution to voters about their support for a progressive party other than Liberals. And he was pressed on Andrew Scheer's assertion that if he wins the most seats in a minority parliament, he, not Trudeau, will have the right to form a government. Trudeau avoided the question. Do you agree with that? I am focused on uh, forming a government of progressive Canadians, uh, including a strong number of Quebecers, who will fight for the investments that Canadians need, who will fight against climate change, who will stand against conservative cuts and conservative provincial premiers who don't want to do anything on climate change and uh, stop investing in communities and in people. The choice Canadians are facing is a very, very clear one, and we are entirely focused on that. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh also campaigned in Ontario today, hoping to shore up NDP support. In Welland, Ontario, he repeated the NDP promises of a national pharmacare plan, affordable housing and climate action, and once again urged voters to consider the NDP instead of the Conservatives or Liberals. And Singh too responded to Andrew Scheer's assertion that if he wins the most seats in a minority parliament, he will have the right to form a government. Not so fast, according to Singh. At the end of the day, Canadians, the vast majority of them, do not want Conservatives to come in and start cutting services. So whatever we can do to ensure that that doesn't happen is what New Democrats are committing to doing. But there was a possible ally for Andrew Scheer today in the person of the Bloc Québécois leader, Yves-François Blanchet, still rising in the polls and saying today the only thing that will guide his support for any minority government 
is what's good for Quebec. And that's the kind of day it's been, day 37 of the campaign, four days until we know the choice of Canadians. So what happens if no uh, one party wins the necessary number of seats in the 338-seat House of Commons, the 170 seats to form a majority government? Who gets to have the first crack at forming government? The short answer is whichever leader and party can command confidence of the House of Commons, and that means finding support from other parties eventually. Let's have that conversation with three party commentators. From Toronto, I'm joined by Jeff Turner. He's a Liberal commentator and Fred Delory, a Conservative commentator. And here in the studio with me is uh, Farouk Karim, an NDP commentator. Good to see you all, gentlemen. Hey, Peter. Thanks for being here. You, Fred Delory, let me, let me start with you. Andrew Scheer says he has the right to form government if he wins uh, more seats than any other party on Monday night. But if it's a minority parliament, does it matter how many seats he wins? Uh, look, it comes down to convention and tradition in Canada, and the party who wins the most seats is the one who gets to form government. Uh, that's what Canadians expect. That's when they're going to the voting uh, stations on Monday, uh, expect the outcome to be uh, the party with the most seats govern. Uh, the only time that's not happened, there was a huge constitutional crisis uh, that led to the King Bing affair. Uh, so again, the, the party that wins the most seats has the right to form the government. But, but in convention, Jeff Turner, if, uh, all the experts I've talked to have said what actually happens is the... Whoever the sitting prime minister was when the election was called has the first right to decide what happens next, whether to step down, see if there's a path to continue governing, or ultimately could be dismissed by the governor general. But let me ask it this way. Should Justin Trudeau try to hold, try to hold on to power uh, on Monday night if the seat count is close? I think, uh, listen, the Westminster system is our proud parliamentary tradition, and that system says that the prime minister is the prime minister until he or she is no longer the prime minister. And the thing that makes them no longer the prime minister is if they cannot command the confidence of the House. And so the right in our parliamentary system of a prime minister who is coming back to a parliament is to, uh, if they don't command a majority, is to have the option uh, to work with parliamentarians to return to that House with a throne speech that can pass confidence and demonstrate to the governor general they have confidence. So this is poli-sci 101. It took us a while to, to confirm that Andrew Scheer has a degree in political science like I do, and I understand that that is the way that our system works. All right, Frig, uh, Frig let me get you to weigh in here. What, what, what Jagmeet Singh is all over this. He's the one who kind of started the conversation as the polls narrowed, saying, yeah, look, I'm, I'm open to working, uh, looking at a coalition with the Liberals. I'll support the Liberals. Didn't seem to be stepped away from it for a few days, seemed to be back on it today, saying basically I'll do whatever I have to do to stop Andrew Scheer. What does that mean? First of all, I did political science also at university. Hey, we've so. all done political <laughs> science, so that's great. Uh, yeah, no, I think Mr. Singh, I think he is in a great position, uh, his campaign, uh, throughout this campaign. But at the, for the end game, for the coalition talk, I think opening the door to, he's been clear even before the campaign started, I'm not going to prop up a my, uh, conservative minority right. government. He said that from the beginning. So I was kind of a bit of surprise that people were surprised as his answer a couple of days ago. Uh, but the point is, he's not going to support a conservative. There's another group left of other parties, and that's where he's going to go, and that's what he's telling Canadians. Those are my priorities. If you vote for the NDP, we're not going to put the Conservative in power. So that inoculates the Liberal argument of fear of having sheer uh, uh, Conservative government. But if you vote for me, our issues will be a priority. And in that group, if we can call them a, the progressive group, the maximum of Orange team members mm -hmm. in that group will make sure that we push for our priorities. All right, Fred Delore, let me go back to you. I mean, our system does allow, we've, we've touched on that, we pointed that out. Um, the system does allow um, 
for coalitions. We, we haven't seen a formal coalition at the federal level since the 1920s. You touched on it, the King-Bing affair. Uh, why would it be wrong for Justin Trudeau to continue as prime minister if he can secure some form of arrangement with the other parties to continue governing in a minority parliament? Well, again, I think Canadians expect the, the election night results to, to stand and the party who gets the most seats should get an opportunity to form that government. But on the other side of it, uh, the thought of an NDP um, party supporting a Liberal uh, government, uh, that kind of coalition, what an unholy alliance where the Liberals are already at out-of-control spending. Imagine the billions upon billions more that uh, the NDP would demand to keep the Liberals afloat. Uh, it, could, it could be uh, ruinous to our economy and to uh, the, the Treasury of this country. What's your response to that, Jeff Turner? Uh, so, Peter, I think uh, number one, uh, I'll put my my like my, my consultant hat on. Certainly, we're all talking about a minority as if it's a foregone conclusion. Right. That's definitely something that we're advising clients to to be prepared for. I'll put my partisan hat on now and say that a lot can happen in a few days, and Canadians are a very practical bunch uh, as they head to the uh, to the polls. And so, I think meaning, the prime minister what? actually meaning had what, Jeff? Meaning the, what? Well, well, meaning that they can make decisions based on their local circumstances, based on their local candidates. By the way, I'll point out liberal candidates are fantastic across this whole country. Um, and they can determine what kind of government they want to see based on that local vote and the, the chances of who is uh, in a position to carry the day in their local constituency. There are only three ridings of the three major parties that have the, the leader's name on the ticket. And that is not the reality for most Canadians. My point being... Um, I think the Prime Minister had a really, really great way of describing this for Canadians is, you know, instead of focusing on electing a progressive opposition, you know, the NDP were not able to stop Doug Ford in Ontario. The NDP were not able to stop Stephen Harper in Ottawa. Uh, if you want to elect a progressive government, don't elect a progressive opposition. All right, Farouk, uh, I mean, uh, Jagmeet Singh has kind of opened the door here by, by triggering this conversation and not, as I say, not backing away from it. Um, and you, you saw the reaction from Conservatives, and you just heard it from, from Fred DeLore saying, great, this is a coalition where we're going to all pay way more in taxes, uh, deficits and, and debt for as far as the, eye, as the eye can see. Could this backfire? I don't think so. I think if, if the Conservatives are saying that an NDP Liberal uh, coalition is uh, spending galore, as you said, I think a Conservative government is cutting galore. So there's a, that's, why the, that's why the polls are where they are. Um, my colleague, my liberal colleague, just mentioned that uh, maybe Canadians will, will see uh, in the, during the weekend and decide what kind of government they want. I think they're already indicating what God kind of government government they want. They don't want a blank check to either of the two parties. That's being really clear in this campaign, and that's I don't think that trend is going to stop until the, the vote. And we're not used to it in our political system about this minority situation, but. We'll figure it out, I think. It's, well, we've it's, had lots of minorities. We, we you know, we I had mean, Stephen yep. Harper minority. We had Paul Martin minority, Stephen Harper minorities. Sure. But they were not, it, it was a minority, it, they were, it was like um, by default. People were not voting against it, they were abstaining, they were leaving the, that person power. There was a certain, uh, the Martin government negotiated some uh, budget mm -hmm. elements with the NDP. But I think we're kind of going in a new era. Electoral reform was not made. Canadians are putting it in on their own hands to make sure that the parliament is how they want it to be. When, when uh, Fred Delory, when Mr. Shear says, "Look, uh, if I win the most seats in a minority parliament, I get a chance to govern," um, how how does he govern? Do you think beyond uh, the few days he can say that he won the election? How how does he? Because I think he's, he's already said that he's he's not going to try and do deals with other parties. The platform is the platform. Uh, show me his path to continued governance if he wins a minority on Monday night. 
Well, look, the, uh, the, the folks I talked to in the, in the war room uh, are quite confident they're going to win uh, a significantly large minority at that. Uh, so he'll have a, a good backing of, of parliamentarians there. And I think it's planned, uh, as he introduces it to the House, it will, you know, legislation will be piece by piece, uh, similar to past uh, minority governments that have worked quite well for Canadians. Right, but so, I, I mean, so you have one party saying I won't work with them at all, that's the NDP. Um, where, where do you see the alliances? It was kind of interesting to me today, the bloc leader said he's not prepared to draw a line in the sand for anybody. He's prepared to work with, right. with any party if uh, they're representing the interests of Quebec. Is that a possibility, Conservatives and the, and the bloc? Well, there would certainly not be any sort of coalition or grouping with them. The last time the bloc tried to get a no coalition was with the Liberals and the NDP. It certainly will not be the Conservatives. But during uh, but those again, minority years piece. we had in Ottawa, there, there were, there were, the bloc helped support uh, Conservative minorities. On, cer on certain motions, again, piece by piece, uh, that's how the, that government But no formal coalition, you're saying? Right, yeah. absolutely no formal coalition. Uh, Jeff Turner, what are your thoughts on, uh, on uh, how, whether you think the Conservatives could survive uh, in a minority parliament? What, what's the platform that others could buy into? Peter, I'll be a little bit cheeky and I'll say that I think they'd be able to survive with the NDP. And I think the reason why is if you look structurally at minorities with the prospect of having an election, let's say next June or even next March when the government falls apart, the NDP are not capable of having an election next year. They have no money. They have millions of dollars in debt. They have mortgaged their buildings and their offices, and they're about to go to half of the caucus that they had going into this election. I find it very interesting that Jagmeet Singh is winning this election by losing half of his seats. It's a very interesting thing. Right. Are, you, are, you, are you suggesting that based on what we've, the, the, the sort of uh, categorical rejection of Andrew Scheer we're hearing from Jagmeet Singh. You think he would walk that back? Uh, I'm being cheeky to? because I would say that, that partnering with the Conservatives is absolutely off the agenda, but that does not preclude a handful of NDP MPs suddenly having the flu on throne speech day. It's in their self-interest to not go back to an election if there is a minority, and that's going to be an animating feature of them. So if a Conservative minority is the name of the game, I'm just going to make a prediction right now that you're going to see the NDP in some way complicit in keeping that government alive for their own pure political interest, because they are are a political party and they have pure political interests notwithstanding some of their problems. Well, I won't surprise you know that uh, Farouk wants in on that. Go ahead. Yeah, speaking of, of, <laughs> speaking of flu, I seem to remember that there was an epidemic of flu uh, during the Harper minority uh, and when Inasiev was leader of the Liberal Party and I think they went to the bathroom 68 days in a row, 60 day, 68 day, uh, times they had to vote uh, to prop up Mr. Harper. So in terms of self-interest, I don't think the NDP has any lesson to take from the Liberal Party. So, uh, okay, um, Fred Delore, let me go back to you. So we, if we're in this situation uh, on, on the Monday night, what's Andrew Shearer's plan is going to be to say, look, uh, I won the most seats. Yeah, it's a, it's a minority of some kind. I want a chance to govern. How quickly does he try to put a platform before Canadians and, uh, uh, and before, uh, before parliamentarians? I think he'd want to speak from the throne as soon as possible. It would be a matter of weeks. Obviously, you've got to form the government and then a few weeks to prepare well, for the speech. I guess speech he's, already the pro he's promised today the job one. Would he, he would recall Parliament to get rid of the carbon tax uh, before mm -hmm. January 1st. So that's obviously no later than sometime in mid or earlier mid-December. Yeah, it, it would be, it would, Parliament would come back, I'm sure, in, in hopefully November if we can get it uh, reconvened in time. All right. Uh, final thoughts from you, Jeff Turner, on what, what this weekend looks like then, the next couple of days. Uh, what's it going to be like? Uh, the polls tell us we're, we're deadlocked here in, in a minority position. What do you think happens? 
I think people think long and hard uh, on the weekend about what they're going to do at the box, uh, and I hope people do because uh, decision-making once you're behind the screen uh, is precarious, and I think people need to put some good thought into their local races, as I, as I mentioned before, who that candidate is and, and what kind of government they want to see on the end of this and how they support. And I actually believe that Canadians can, can really turn a little bit on a dime and we can see that deadlock break. It is possible. Um, and, and besides that, campaigns on the ground are right now, today, tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday, uh, building their kits, getting their, their, their get-out-the-vote operation. Liberals are well-known to be uh, very strong on the ground, have great organization, and have a great reach into their vote. They tend to be more efficient than others. So uh, the Liberal campaign will absolutely be uh, completely doubled down on that ground game, pulling out their vote, and making sure that the Prime Minister okay. is on everybody's television set for the next three days, uh, being a great leader uh, that they can vote a quick for. final word for you. For it's uh, Mr. Singh's message for the last four days before the vote. Don't settle for less. Dream big. Don't give a blank check to the Liberal Party. You know what they did for the four, last four years. All right, gentlemen, uh, thank you all for this. Uh, we'll touch base again. Uh, a lot, going to be a lot to talk about in the days ahead. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Well, throughout the campaign, we have been touching base with young undecided voters to see how they follow the campaign and what will determine their ballot choices. Joining me today are Emily Bird, a global and international studies student. Mehdi Bushentuf is a political science student. And joining us from Edmonton is Leslie Mayhew, a political science and public administration uh, student. And Leslie, let me start with you. Uh, what kind of a campaign do you think it's been? Have you been inspired, disappointed? Which, which is it? Um, very confused is what I would say. Myself and other youth are just really trying to figure out what is best. And I think a lot of people are trying to base it off their values. Okay, uh, let me go around the table here. Emily, how about you? Uh, what kind of a campaign do you think it's been? Uh, I think it's been a bit of a turbulent campaign. Everybody's arguing with each other, uh, so sometimes it can be hard to kind of get the uh, points that the leaders want to get across, across effectively. Um, but I think overall it's definitely been a campaign of, um, I know a lot of youth that are very engaged in it and are trying to follow along, um, but it hasn't exactly been inspiring. Okay, well, how about you, Mehdi? I think it's been a lot of mudslinging. I feel like a lot of it was kind of um, directed against the opponent rather than kind of build them, themselves up like each party leader. And I think ultimately leads to a bit of confusion. I think the information that's available is kind of like not about the leaders and what they're bringing forward, but whether what the other leaders like aren't bringing forward. So I think ultimately it's a bit like there's a lot of misinformation. It's kind of frustrating as a voter. So Leslie, what, what are you relying on to make your choices? I mean, or, or your choice at the ballot box? What, what do you look to? I'm really trying to not so much as listen, but see what it is that they're actually presenting. And, and how do you do that? I, I'm going online, I'm looking at the different platforms, what they're presenting themselves, not so much what their competitors are. All right, so, I mean, have you, uh, I mean, if I, is there one issue that you, that, that really was the driving issue for your support in this campaign that, that you've heard enough about or that was presented the way you wanted to be presented? Or are you feeling like you needed to know more? Um, well, I feel... Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Leslie, <laughs> then we'll come back here. Go ahead. Okay, sorry. Um, so I definitely feel like youth focus is something that I primarily am voting on. And I do see a lot of that coming from the uh, Green Party. All right. So, so that, that's helping narrow your choices, I guess. How, how about here? 
Um, I would say that my big thing is still electoral reform um, because all the people I'm talking to are saying how they find it so frustrating in this election to decide who to vote for. Um, so the parties that have that in their platform, I've really been taking that into account and looking at that. And it's interesting. It's, it, no. it's, I, I suspect we'll hear about it more because the uh, all the indications are, Mehdi, that we're going to have a minority parliament. Absolutely. Uh, and that, that's going to reignite the whole conversation because <laughs> the minority parliament might look kind of like what we might have had Exactly. If there had been electoral reform or with, with less representation for the smaller parties. But what, what about you? Was there something you wanted to hear more about that you didn't? Uh, again, I think youth issues are huge. I think regarding things like I know some discussion has been about how like student debt has worked out in terms of like like federal interest rates mm -hmm. and how like how much students kind of owe and they're not able to then contribute to the economy mm -hmm. because they're paying down all the massive debt that they have because of their education. So I think I would have liked to hear more about that. I also think that like things like corporate subsidies is something that's been fairly consistent. I think every year you here we're going to cut corporate subsidies but the reality is most parties and why is that important because I think it's important because I don't think we need to put like public money into the hands of corporations for them to come and do business in Canada I think ultimately then you're using public funds into private in giving it into private hands and I think I'd like to see kind of like a shift from government going from like actually looking at just corporations to actually moving into like more of the public and talking about social programs talking about students talking about like the Canada pension plan for example like those massive social programs I think need to be at the forefront of our discussions, and they're not at the moment, unfortunately. All right, just a couple of quick, uh, a couple of minutes left here. Leslie, I'm going to go back to you in Edmonton. Uh, you got four days before you have to vote here. What what's going to determine how you finally make your decision? Well, a lot of what Medi mentioned as well. Electoral reform is definitely something I, I want to want to see focused on. If I can see more of that being presented, I definitely will probably also vote for that as well. Okay, so you're waiting till uh, you, you're going to vote on Monday. Now, Emily, I understand yep. you, you have voted. Emily, we're not going to ask you how you yeah. voted. <laughs> Uh, but what was the determining factor in your decision? Um, for me, it was I went directly to the platforms actually and like read through uh, the points mm -hmm. there. Um, I also took a look at all of the different candidates in the riding, um, went kind of through their background, what experience they might have. Okay, so that, that's yeah. a fairly thorough study. I did. I did do a thorough and a thorough highly recommended probably. Yeah. <laughs> And Mehdi, how about you? Um, I'm not voting like early just because no one has like given me enough enough confidence that if I vote for them early, then I might I might regret it. Come voting, they have new information. So you didn't do out. the advance ballot, so you're waiting till Monday. I'm waiting till Monday. And what's gonna what's what's the one last thing you're waiting to hear? Um, I've done a lot of research on my individual candidates in my writing, so I'm kind of down to two parties. But like it's it kind of flip flops for me. I know I'm leaning one party a lot more than I'm leaning the other. But if anything new comes out, it could just it could still switch. Like I could still. All right, well, we'll touch base with you after the campaign as well to get your reactions for how things went. But thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's get the lay of the land by the numbers now. 338Canada.com is a statistical model of electoral projections using public opinion polls, electoral history of ridings and provinces, and demographics. And it's developed quite a following in this campaign. Its uh, creator is Philippe J. Fournier, a professor of astronomy and physics at the Cégep de Saint-Laurent in Montreal. And he's with me now. And uh, we should tell everybody, uh, Monsieur Fournier, that they can find projections for every writing uh, on this site of yours. But thanks for making time to speak with me today. Bonjour, Monsieur Van Rieren. Good to see you again. You too. So what kind of, let's, let's start with, uh, you know, what we know four days ahead of the vote. Uh, what kind of movement are you seeing in the party standings? 
Well, it's very interesting because uh, we still have a, a statistical tie between the Liberals and the Conservatives on top of voting intentions, uh, which was the case last month. However, uh, a month ago, the Liberals and the Conservatives were hovering around the 34 to 35% mark, whereas right now it's between 131 and 32. And so the, the, the smaller parties, the NDP and the Bloc, for instance, have uh, made tremendous gains during the campaign. We have the Bloc Québécois. Uh, at the onset of the campaign was pulling at around 18 to 19 percent in Quebec, and now it looks to be over 30 percent. So it is, this is a dramatic turn of events uh, in this campaign. We know uh, how important battleground Quebec is. We see the, uh, Justin Trudeau's there again today. All the party leaders have been there in the last couple of days focused on that. Um, how significant is what's happening there, and, and do you have any ideas of why it's happening? Why is the bloc suddenly back in the game and in such a big way? Well, that's, there are many hypotheses that are possible, and again, I'm a numbers guy, so I have to tread carefully. But uh, I've, wrote, uh, I've written in McLean's lately that Quebec voters have been the most volatile in the country in the past decade and a half, and we still see that today. It looks like Quebecers need to be inspired to vote for somebody. In 2008, they voted for about 50 block seats. In 2011, they voted for 59 NDP seats led by Jack Layton. And four years ago, they were, you know, 36% of Quebecers voted to uh, vote for the, uh, the Liberals of Justin Trudeau. But it seems like nobody was able to gain momentum in this campaign. Nobody was inspiring enough um, to convince Quebecers that they deserved their vote. And so Yves-François Blanchet, who had a very reasonable campaign and a very good uh, French debate on TVA, uh, took the ball and ran away with it. And now we see that Quebecers are mostly choosing uh, none of the above as an option. We're hearing a lot of conversation uh, today, especially about this whole idea of a coalition minority and who will get to govern and, uh, you know, sort of a lot of people with different opinions on that. But I thought it was interesting to hear uh, Monsieur Blanchet today say that, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's not intending in a minority parliament to look uh, for blocking the Conservatives if they, if they uh, win the most seats and try to form a government. He's saying he's looking out for the interests of Quebec. Is that a message that will resonate with Quebec? Are they okay with that? Or would they be thinking, uh, given that a lot of Quebecers have concerns about the Conservative platform, would they be saying, wait a minute, we don't want you uh, propping up a Conservative government? How, how will this be viewed? That's a very interesting question. I think many non-Bloc voters will point to the Bloc and say, you see, you're hypocrites because you support or you at least do not try to, to take down a government that's uh, supposedly against your values. But uh, Quebec voter, Bloc voters in particular are fine with the minority government uh, as long as the Bloc holds the balance of power. And of, again, the Bloc Québécois will never make any deal, a long-term deal with a coalition with any party because that's not their interest. Their interest is to, to defend and the, uh, uh, they say Quebec interest, or I would say maybe a fringe of Quebec interest. But um, I, I don't see Yves-François Blanchet wanting an election anytime soon. The Bloc Québécois, you know, has had uh, some uh, financial difficulties in the past, and they're just building this momentum back up. And so let's say, hypothetically, that the Bloc does win 40 seats uh, at the House of Commons. Well, they will want to, uh, to hold on to those seats as long as possible and not risk uh, an early election, let's say, in the spring or next right. fall. Uh, I think it's really interesting on your site to, you know, talk to me a little bit about the riding breakdown. So on your site, people will see you assess the ridings as safe, likely, leaning, or toss-ups. How many ridings are settled according to your modeling? Because everybody talks about a lot of volatility over the next couple of days and not quite sure what could happen on Monday. 
Well, I would uh, warn readers that, of course, there is uh, uncertainty in the model. Uh, in over th the last three elections that I covered, uh, the model called the right winner in 91% uh, of cases, which is good, but it's not perfect. It will miss a few writings. But among those that I call likely or, uh, or safe, uh, the, my, my, uh, my rating is 98% success. And so I would say about maybe 160 uh, seats should be, um, yeah, 160 to 180 seats should be settled. Those are the strongholds of every party. We have, let's say, rural Alberta for the Conservatives. We have many Montreal seats and Toronto seats for the Liberals. Uh, but uh, there are an amazing amount of toss-ups right now. Uh, very, uh, very close writings that are will be decided by maybe just a few hundred votes. And so the, the get-out-the-vote operation by each party will be very important on election day. All right, we've got about 30 seconds left, and I know that's putting in a bit of a box here, but I want to finish on this, and I, it's one of this analyses that you did that I found really interesting. Justin Trudeau promised the last election would be the last election using the first past-the-post system. That promise we know was broken, but you looked at what this election might look like if we did have a system of proportional representation. What did you find? A little bit of politics fiction that I like to call. Well, the Conservatives and the Liberals would be at around 120 seats each. And, of course, each of those parties would be very far from the majority threshold. Uh, the, uh, the NDP would win, actually, about 60 seats. And the Green Party, maybe around 35 seats. And so, of course, this is a hypothetical scenario because we take data from one system to another. But it just, it's just a mental experiment to see what could have been uh, had Canada implemented proportional representation. Uh, so I think it's, these are very important to, uh, just to uh, create uh, models for imagination. All right. Uh, well, you're going to have to use, you might have to use your imagination on Monday for what comes next in this country. Uh, Philippe J. Follier, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Both Andrew Scheer and Jagmeet Singh were in Ontario today. We can't say often enough how much is at stake for the parties in that province. With 121 seats, dozens of races feature battles between Conservatives and Liberals or Liberals and New Democrats. Some of the tightest races are in the 30 ridings in the Greater Toronto Area. And one of them is the riding of Whitby, where the resignation of the former MP has left it a must-have riding for a party hoping to win government. And one of CPAC's ridings to watch. was a conservative stronghold since 2006, actually a Jim Flaherty stronghold. The former finance minister dominated this riding until his death in 2014. The Liberals took the area in the last general election by a couple of thousand votes. That makes this riding a toss-up between the Liberals and the Conservatives. The Conservative message might be getting through a little bit more than the Liberal message, but 
it's hard to kind of say for sure. The one thing about this riding is, is that in every election since it was created, it's the, the person who has won has been in the government's side. So it's a bit of a bellwether riding. Part of why this riding is ripe for the taking is that the incumbent is no longer in the game. Selena Caesar Chavon stepped down as a liberal in March after having a personality conflict with Justin Trudeau. She has continued to sit as an independent since then and chose not to run this time. A lot of the people who supported Selena, they were disappointed when she decided to cut ties with Trudeau earlier this year, and they are loyal to her. And so I think it's meant that the lo local Liberal candidate hasn't maybe had as much support from the Liberals as Selena Cesar Chavans had. It opens the door a little bit now for the Conservatives, who traditionally have been the winners in this riding since it was created, and have a good chance, I think, to get back in. Selena has not been involved in this campaign. She is sitting as an independent member, but uh, she's not a candidate. Um, but what has happened is there really has not been advocacy for Whitby uh, from a sitting MP for almost most of this year, 2019. And so we need to hit the ground running uh, after the election. Todd McCarthy is the conservative on the ticket in Whitby. He's a lawyer who helped found McCarthy Flaherty. That name opens a lot of doors. Did you vote for my friend Jim? Did you vote for my friend Jim back in the day? I'm passionate about advocacy. I always have been. 30 years as a trial lawyer representing individual citizens, and I'm honoured to be nominated as a Conservative candidate here for Whitby to advocate for all 129,000 of my fellow citizens here in Whitby. I also believe that a Member of Parliament is elected and entrusted with the job for his or her judgment and integrity for those in unanticipated issues that will come up during a term. Hi there, how are you? I'm good, I'm Ron Turnbull, I'm the Liberal candidate for the upcoming federal election. Hi, nice to meet you. Running neck and neck with McCarthy is his Liberal opponent, Ryan Turnbull. He's a consultant who has expertise in policy making. For years and years and years, uh, I've worked on the issues. So I've worked on over 350 projects uh, in every kind of social, environmental and economic issue you can think of. So I started a social innovation consulting company years ago. I started the company to really make a difference on the issues. So I've worked on poverty reduction, homelessness, affordable housing, seniors home care, worked on child care, children's nutrition, home energy retrofits, all kinds of work on waste reduction and many, many, many others. The Liberal Party has really stepped up and I think listened to people, uh, really consulted the public and, and the various different stakeholders across Canada and developed strategies that I think are actually addressing the root causes of some of the toughest issues in our society. I'm Ryan Turnbull, I'm the Liberal candidate. Turnbull canvasses with his wife, Suzanne. Together, they tag team the issues at the door. There's no reason we don't have room for these people. Mm -hmm. We need people one. who care in government because that's the only way that the money will be funded to mm -hmm. yeah, people that need it. Yeah, and, and it, I mean, my, my whole work has been about social justice, equity, inclusion, yeah. and that's all I've done. Like many so-called 905 ridings on the periphery of Toronto, Whitby's downtown retains its charm. Although much of the land in this riding is being swallowed up by development, it hangs on to its connection with nature. The shore of Lake Ontario lies on Whitby's southern edge. A lighthouse and a marina are about the only development here. 
Basically, the waterfront is uh, as a main feature, I think, for Whitby. People love it down there. Uh, I've spent a lot of time down there myself. My daughter loves it. There's the marina, great walking trails. I think there's more we could do to preserve that. But at the northern end of the riding is the once sleepy village of Brooklyn, which has become a suburb of the suburb. Some farmland remains, but not for long, it seems. There's a plan to have 80,000 more people live here in the next 15 years. A lot of them are going to go up north into Brooklyn, 56,000, and then about 25,000 are going to move to West Whitby. And I mean, this riding, eventually there could be two ridings here instead of one. Growth in Whitby has exploded. In just five years, the population grew by almost 30 percent. How do you address uh, suburban sprawl, especially in a place like Whitby? Well, uh, you know, uh, right now we have to think about sustainable living. Um, uh, sprawl is not effective, quite frankly. Uh, you need to have uh, folks living uh, closer together, uh, obviously. Uh, you need to ha have communities that are connected by reliable transit. Uh, when you have sprawl, it does create a problem such as that. And also it spreads out uh, resources, it spreads out um, um, uh, the energy capacity that you have to have. Um, I think it's important to have uh, sustainable city building initiatives. Uh, this is something I have experience with. And uh, I think that uh, we need to address these issues in Whitby. Alrighty, let's see if we can get some, uh, get some folks at home. NDP candidate Brian Dias is an auto worker with strong ties to the union movement. He's passionate about his party's plans to reduce Whitby's carbon footprint. Uh, so what we're, what we're looking at is uh, we have a new homes uh, retrofit program. What we're going to do, and not just new homes, existing housing stock, we want to ret retrofit all of that by the year 2050. Now a lot of people don't know, buildings are the third largest contributor to climate change. And while we can now build sustainable structures, every building that you see around here, they're still going to be around in about 30 years. And if we're going to hit our energy targets, and we're going to follow the science, Laura. We're going to try to keep the emissions below 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels as the inter, uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has recommended. Uh, if we're going to hit those targets and if we're going to get serious about it, we need to retrofit all existing housing stock. Now the beauty of that, that's jobs here in Whitby. You can't outsource retrofit jobs. I go from door to door to door in these suburban houses. Uh, and I used to think uh, when I came upon a house that had the two big giant pickup trucks or the giant SUV that they would not be Green Party supporters. And people, uh, very interestingly, often are quite supportive. So, you know, they may have bought that pickup truck four years ago and they may have converted or really reconsidered it. So I bought an electric car four years ago because it was time to buy a car. and. Uh, I thought to myself, well, it's quite expensive. They only had the expensive ones for sale then, but uh, I'm either going to live my words or I'm not. I think you either have to, uh, yeah, have to live it or you have to shut up. I have a hope that, that those people, when they're considering their next vehicle, will be considering something more ecologically friendly. Green Party candidate Paul Slavchenko says sprawling car-friendly ridings like Whitby need the Green Party more than ever. When I have a concern about climate, I ask a climate scientist. So what do the climate scientists say? 98% of climate scientists agree that global warming is a real thing, that it is anthropogenic, that is to say it's caused by human activities, 
Science makes your cell phone work. Science makes the nuclear plant work. Science makes the airplane not fall out of the sky. Science uh, makes your car work. Science is a tool to figure out something uh, about the world. The climate scientists have told us this thing. I can only believe them. If people don't believe them, I don't have a reply to them. Right. Dr. Paul Slavchenko is an anesthesiologist at the local hospital. I could be making a very good living doing this, but there are some things in my life that are more important than money. And one of those things is my feeling of the kind of world that I'm going to hand over to my daughter. Because, you know, they always say you never own the world, you just take care of it for your children. And that's very much at, at this part of my life uh, how I feel about it. Conservative Todd McCarthy says the liberal gas tax is not the answer to solving climate change. We all know that climate change is a serious issue that needs immediate, immediate action, all right? But we also disagree on how to deal with it. So there's our plan to reduce our respective carbon footprints, right, with the green home tax credit and the green public transit tax credit, with the abolition of the carbon tax, which does nothing to fight climate change, uh, but just makes the cost of everything, including fuel for our cars, more expensive. The solution to fighting climate change, conservatives believe, is international. So we need to make sure that our technology, our personnel, our natural resources are exported around the world so we can get China and India off coal. You know, Canada only uh, emits 1.8% of greenhouse gas emissions, right? So the big polluters have to have different choices. There's really energy poverty in places like China and India. And we have the solution, we have the resources, we have the cleaner technology. And we will take the fight against cl climate change we will take the fight against climate change to an international global perspective with our positive plan for the future. The Liberal candidate disagrees. He says only the biggest polluters will pay. And so we've introduced a uh, price on pollution. You know, pollution has been free in this country. Industries can pollute and never really have any repercussions. Uh, so we're uh, implementing this price on pollution, which I think is, you know, is really positive because it it um, generates revenue that can then be invested in building a green economy. And the other thing that I think most people don't truly understand, a lot of, there's a lot of misconception about this. Uh, you know, conservatives keep saying that this is about taxing people more, and it's actually not a tax being imposed upon the individual consumer. It's a tax being imposed on industry who are some of the most profitable uh, and biggest polluters in the world. So, you know, and the reality of it is, is when they mess with our environment, the toxins and mess that go into our environment are things that we end up picking up the bill for cleaning up. And so that's the real issue. The real issue is we can't make the transition without disincentivizing that type of behavior in our economy and building, you know, a replacement economy, which is, you know, one that really focuses on environmental stewardship and sustainability. But McCarthy says he has a better idea for Whitby and for adjacent Oshawa. On the local front, I believe that we need to find a new use for the General Motors plant. Why not an electric car manufacturer? The member of parliament, and, and I would hope would be me after October 21st, has to lead that discussion with all levels of government and with private sector investments and welcome investment to make that possible. This multi-generational protest has been coming out every Friday since April. They are trying to raise awareness about climate change one car honk at a time.
The science is clear and it's alarming and uh, also alarming that our governments are not doing any, you know, they have no real action uh, in this direction and it's our children who are going to pay the price for this and it's, uh, it's just morally wrong that we're not addressing it in any meaningful way. Well, this is our future. You know, this should have been something that other people dealt with before we were born, but instead we're going to have to campaign for it ourselves. So this really is about how livable our future is and whether we're going to be able to have our future the way that we planned it to be, which is without uh, unmitigated climate disasters. Why, why is it this important to you? Why are you so passionate about this? Because um, this is my future and I'd like to have a future and I care about the animals that live on this planet and um, over 200 species of animals are going extinct every day. This, this isn't just a political issue, this isn't something that only matters on the campaign trail, this is life or death for us, so we would like action to be taken recognizing that it is life or death for us. People are dying from this like every day and we don't think that's right, we don't think it's fair and we would like something to be done. Reducing Whitby's carbon emissions also means trying to cut down on the gas-powered commute into Toronto. In this town, there is a concerted effort to keep and grow green jobs in Whitby by turning the area into a tech hub. 1855 Whitby, it's a technology accelerator and it's designed for already established high potential tech companies to accelerate growth. So we offer a series of boutique programming for them and support advisory in different areas so that they can hit the global stage. We are part of a budding innovation district here downtown Whitby. So there are about 20 tech and innovation companies in all of Whitby, 12 of which are just around here in this walking distance. We've got great food and bev, we've got amazing tech companies who are our neighbors that are doing international deals on a regular basis. So there's a lot of uh, birth of great technology that's happening right around us at a any given time. And it's now it's this collaborative space. A lot Stephanie of Mann runs 1855 BDO Accelerator. She believes technology will fuel Whitby's future economy. The vision behind 1855 Whitby started in 2014 and it was a, a strategic initiative funded by the town and the CEO of 360 Insights, which is just across the street. It's a $75 million tech company and they came together and said we have to do something about the gap in the innovation ecosystem because technology companies had startup supports and there were things available to them from an incubation standpoint but when they wanted to scale there was nothing so we were losing them to Toronto companies to other program agencies but they weren't staying here so this was born to fill that hole in the ecosystem and all of a sudden now we have companies that are coming to us from here and other parts of the country and even in India, different parts of the United States, South Africa, saying Whitby is, a, is an option for us. So it's, it's taken off in quite a big way. So this is an 1873 building. It's the former land registry office for the province. They, the town of Whitby has purchased this from the province and invested upwards of $3 million in it to retrofit it for this innovative space. The incubator is in the heart of historic Whitby. The 1855 in its name is a nod to the town's roots. It was founded in 1855. I think if we can support uh, more small businesses, we'll get more jobs because they tend to hire, as they grow, they tend to hire more people. So I think people have said they want more jobs close to home so they don't have to commute. I think the commute is one of the biggest issues that people mention. 
you know, when you go in and out of Toronto these days, it's three hours out of your day, minimum. Three yeah. hours away from your family. Three hours away from your family, three hours away from anything else you want to do with your, your life. So it impacts the quality of life that people have. The Conservative candidate says lowering taxes for small business will stimulate homegrown jobs. We need to get uh, government off the backs of small business, reducing regulation, red tape and taxes for small business means job growth, job creation and as I've heard from many today, uh, jobs right here in Whitby. Slivchenko believes green technology will bring jobs. I think it's important to everybody's future. I think we have, uh, we have land, we have uh, places to build things uh, and we have a knowledge base and I think uh, this would be a great place to grow a technology hub. The interesting thing about green technologies is that you actually have to build them and implement them before you can actually get economies of scale. The uh, cost of solar power for instance now is one-tenth of what it was uh, 10 years ago. And that's just because people have built more and more and more solar installations. And every time they, they do this, somebody comes up with a better idea. Somebody comes up with a way of making it cheaper. Somebody comes up with a way of making it more efficient. If we don't do it, if we don't develop the technology here, if we don't install it in reasonably large quantities, we will never learn how to make it well. And then uh, it will become necessary to have this technology and we can do one of two things. We can have developed it and we can sell it to the world or we can buy it from the country that does. But the NDP believes that although jobs are important, life has to become more affordable for residents of Whitby. Canadians right now, they're struggling to make ends meet. Uh, they had a recent survey where um, they found that uh, most Canadians are about $200 away from insolvency. Most Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck right now, and it doesn't have to be that way. In a country uh, as wealthy as Canada, we are facing massive wealth inequality. New Democrats are committed to making life more affordable for Canadians. We're going to start out with a universal pharmacare plan. Now this is uh, completing the head-to-toe health care dream of Tommy Douglas. Uh, we think that uh, Canadians who need access to medication that's prescribed by their doctor shouldn't have to use a credit card, just use your health card. And as well, choosing the right priorities, making the right... A debate at a Whitby's seniors residence brought all four candidates out to talk about the issues. But the discussion turned into a debate about religious freedom, abortion and same-sex marriage. Does your party find it politically incorrect to believe in the sanctity of life, otherwise pro-life, and marriage between a man and a woman as the only valid marriage as millions of Christians in this country believe? And the third one, will our voices on this important matter be represented. The Liberal Party definitely believes in freedom of religion. I think uh, the freedom of all faith-based systems and the expression of those, uh, I think that's a fundamental right of any Canadian and uh, I think we hold true to that in our values and seek to help everybody um, that's vulnerable, marginalized in our community and bring about the best possible, most inclusive, most uh, high quality life for every human being to realize that you know um, and to me that's fundamental to the Liberal Party it's why I'm running for the Liberal Party in terms of marriage question uh, this goes to the heart of the LGBTQ2S plus community 
Uh, I know that's a long acronym, but it really is an inclusive uh, set of people that do not define their sexuality uh, and orientation in the same way uh, that we sometimes think in our gender binary of, of male-female. And the Liberal Party supports, uh, and I'm very proud to say this in front of all of you, we support that community because we believe in inclusive society and those individuals should be have the right to have loving relationships and you know, come together and I will stand up for that until the day that I die. The New Democrats absolutely believe in religious freedom, in the right to practice the religion of your choosing, and in the right to worship uh, according to your faith and to your morality. Uh, the New Democrats absolutely support a woman's right to choose when it comes to obtaining abortions. Uh, that's non-negotiable from our party. We will support that. Every single one of us at the federal level supports a woman's right to choose. As far as marriage equality goes, um, I'm in lockstep with Mr. Turnbull on this issue. Um, we believe that society ought to be inclusive uh, for all. Uh, love is love. And uh, right now, it's the law. Uh, we will continue with that law. Andrew Scheer, the Conservative Party, and I support that fundamental Canadian principle that I've already indicated is contained within the highest law of our nation, the Charter. Freedom of religion, freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and conscience. It's based on that fundamental premise that I may disagree with what you say, with what you believe, but I will defend to my last breath your right to believe it and your right to say it. But that's a principle that goes both ways. And that's why in this great Canadian society, a civil society, we just need to be kinder to each other. We need to be respectful of each other. We need to celebrate our differences. True diversity means the right to dissent from a viewpoint held by another, even a majority of our fellow citizens. That is what our freedoms are about. It cannot be tyranny of the majority. It cannot be a government compelling one way to think or one way to act. True freedom is dissent. Diversity is true diversity, even if Mr. Trudeau disagrees with you. Thank you, Paul. Actually, it's excellent having an experienced trial lawyer beside me who has a very good working knowledge of our Constitution. Uh, in many ways, I agree with Mr. McCarthy. I think that uh, we are a country uh, which has strength through diversity. So people who uh, practice uh, a religion have the complete choice to do that. Nobody is making them enter into a same-sex marriage. People who do not practice that religion have the complete choice to do that. If they wish to enter a same-sex marriage, they may. This is the party. Uh, I have no difficulty doing this. But seniors' issues are being talked about in this campaign. The two frontrunners each say their party has a plan to help the elderly. Seniors is such a big issue in this community. There's a vast proportion of the population that are, that are aging. Uh, there's not enough affordable housing for seniors, so we really want to look to um, you know, get access to some of those dollars through the National Housing Strategy to ensure that we actually develop housing that's appropriate for seniors. So seniors also struggle with uh, income insecurity uh, or just the lack of you know, uh, the pension plan in terms of how much support that they get. The cost of living is, is high. Um, and often higher than the amount that they get for Canada Pension Plan. So we've, we've made the biggest contribution to the Canada Pension Plan in 
in history since it was uh, you know basically started. Uh, we've also uh, increased uh, old age security for people over 75 uh, and we're increasing the survivor benefit by 25 percent. Uh, so we are doing quite a bit. We also introduced the guaranteed income supplement. Uh, all of these things are, are helping to give seniors more income. Uh, I think it's, we still got to go further. Uh, we need to address the actual root causes of what's wrong with CPP in general, uh, which is that, you know, there isn't enough money to pay out significantly more to seniors. So, you know, essentially what we want to do, I think, in the future is to try and index CPP to the cost of living. Uh, you know, or have a greater percentage that people get uh, of their average yearly income. Mr. Flaherty, back a few years ago, My dear brought friend in Jim. pension splitting. Yes. But when this, which is fine, which mm -hmm. saved me a lot of money mm -hmm. as a senior. Once your spouse dies, and that applies to most of the people here, when one of their spouse dies, all of a sudden you're put into a much higher tax mm -hmm. bracket, mm -hmm. plus there's a clawback of your old age pension. Right. I, I pay much more taxes now that my wife that, has passed that's not away. Right. You know, I, I just ask your thoughts on yeah. doing something. This is why we can't have two trust fund beneficiaries making fiscal policy in this country. Mr. Trudeau has no idea what it's like to meet payroll. He has no idea what the middle class goes through. And he's got lots of accountants and lawyers and tricks so that he the money just keeps flowing for him and the tax advantages keep flowing for him. I'm a middle class small business person. I listened to my mom and mother-in-law and my father and father-in-law when they were alive. These kinds of issues just make no sense. So you should not be, and under a new Conservative government, you will not be penalized for that. So tax relief is on the way, and these are achievable, practical promises that you will see in 2020 in our first budget, so we'll get right on it. I can't wait to get to work for Whitby and for Canada and for you. Obviously, you were We were, among, we were among seniors today, and uh, they've embraced our plan. And uh, it's the seniors tax cut is specific to seniors, but more important, they're on a fixed income. Many, uh, virtually every senior I talk to is on a fixed income. They've saved for retirement, but they're, they're having that affordability problem that we hear from middle class uh, citizens, uh, which is about 90% of our population here in Whitby, and from small business. So the affordability issue is equally important for seniors. When you're on a fixed income, things like the carbon tax and other regressive taxes really hit your heart because they raise the price of everything. For CPAC's Ridings to Watch, I'm Laura DiBattista.